Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. I never realized how much of an impact my manager could have on my job satisfaction until I've had both the good and the lousy. Experiencing both has assured me one thing. I want to become an exceptional leader. To continue learning, I consume a lot of leadership content. One of my favorite creators I've come across is Makita Andrews. I really like her straightforwardness, relatable advice, and of course, all the bright colors. I was actually surprised to find out Makita started her professional career not having any interest managing a team one day. Six months into the job, Makita was approached by the president of the company and offered the opportunity to manage a team. With a little reluctance, she accepted the position. Makita eventually led her department to becoming a strategic division of the company. Makita is now a leadership coach where she works specifically with first-time managers to become confident, competent, and effective leaders. I know so many of you are currently moving into or towards leadership positions in your company right now. Makita shares a lot of tangible advice, like how to deal with an underperforming employee, how to guide team members to solve problems, and when to speak in outcome versus activity. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the mango lover, vibrant coach, and awesome sauce manager, Makita Andrews. Makita Andrews, I am so stoked to have you on the podcast. I... So excited. To I've been be looking here. forward to this conversation all day long. I yeah. ran across you through YouTube and I was looking for some material, some content to consume around leadership and absolutely fell in love with yours. Just started binging it right away. And I'm like, I need to have this girl on my podcast. So after like three or four long weeks of no response, you finally responded to me and got on the schedule. So Mac, I'm super stoked for this conversation. Let's- Oh my goodness, I can't believe you just called me out like that. <laughs> That's totally fine. It was, it was, it seemed like it was maybe a- I'm so sorry. It was like, a, it was a beautiful gift. I was just like, you hit my inbox and I was like, yes, let's go. I've been looking forward to this one. So I have like a dream list uh, of guests oh, that I add people on. And whenever I pitch people, I add them to my pitch section just to like make sure that I'm following up with them if I need to follow up with them. And I followed up with you. Well, I think I either sent you an email and or Instagram message to start with. And then I followed up on whatever the other one was. And I, I don't kill myself over follow-up. Like if it's like, if someone doesn't respond, then I'm just assuming that they're not really interested and I move on. There's a hundred people out there to interview. But then I, if I'm really excited about someone still after that follow-up, I'll move them to my dream, my dream guest list. And I'll just leave them there to like continue to germinate on and see if I can make a connection somehow. So I just had moved you over to that tab. And I was like, ah, man, that's a bummer. I really kind of wanted to have that conversation. And then like a week later, you sent me the email back. So it was awesome. Like I'm super stoked. <laughs> but what a good lesson in that, which is that there's power in follow-up, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes our assumption is that maybe somebody's not necessarily interested in whatever it is. Here I am talking off the, the cuff, but no, right? Like sometimes our assumption is one thing and then it's something completely different because I didn't even see it, right? I think I told you that your message on Instagram or something went to like a completely separate inbox or something like that. And so, yeah, like if I had seen it the first time, I would have responded right away. I'm super stoked to be here. But, you know, it's the power of like follow-up, right? You never know. So you never know. You never know. So let's yeah. start with, <laughs> uh, let's start with impact, actually. I think this is an important place to begin. And we'll be speaking to, since we speak to young professionals, it's either first-time managers right now and or emerging leaders, people that are interested in, in leadership in some kind of capacity at their organization. And I think an important thing to really consider before moving into leadership is the importance of the impact or the responsibility that a leader, being a leader comes with. And in our prep call, you mentioned that leaders are like teachers in the sense that they can have the same impact teachers have on students, on your team members. So can we dive into that a little bit more? And maybe you could even illustrate it with the example of watching your mom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think I was telling you in the prep call, I think I mentioned that one of the activities that I do, so I, let me start from the very top and then narrow in. So I actually teach managers as well, or I train managers within organizations. And one of the activities that I run is around like diving into your leadership style so that you can figure out like, how do you naturally lead people? Right. And so 
in doing that activity, I like to drill down with people and talk through their belief systems and what were their first experiences when it came to work. And I had one of the participants actually mention to me that she, she and I had a very similar experience. This is why I think I was telling you about it in our pre-call where she grew up in a single parent family as well. And she said, you know, I, mom would come home all the time at the end of the day and she would be incredibly upset because of her day at work. And she said, I would often ask my mom, like, what, what's going on? Like, why are you upset? And her mom would always respond, oh, my manager was X, Y, Z, or my manager, you know, didn't necessarily show empathy in this situation, whatever the case might be. She would give her a little bit more uh, color around that scenario. And so she grew up believing that work was a place that people hated to be at, right? Like she kind of believed like nobody actually likes to work. And so because of that, she realized that she took on this like in her leadership role now with other people is she took on this role of like micromanaging because she always believed that nobody likes to work. So I have to force you to work. I have to watch absolutely everything that you're doing in order to get the best outcome that I want from you. And that was based on her experience of seeing how her mom viewed work based on who? A poor manager. And I remember like that resonating quite a bit with me because like I also mentioned to you in our pre like in our previous call, I had the same experience where I remember my mom also being incredibly stressed out because her manager sucked for lack of Let's just be blunt about it. Yeah, like I'm sorry, her manager was terrible. And my mom was a hard worker, super hard worker. I mean, I feel like I I emulate her in that way. Like I'll dig in my heels and work really hard. And so it wasn't a matter of the, that she didn't want to work. She just worked for somebody that forgot that she was a human. And I think that that, that definitely affects you, right? It trickles down and it affects the way now that you view work and it affects the way that you now manage others. It, you know, if you get into a leadership role and so, yeah, managers have an incredible amount of impact on people's lives at the end of the day. And so that's why I was telling you that I believe like, yeah, teachers and educators are incredibly important to our students. But once students graduate the, the classroom, they move into the work world and the teachers of the work world <laughs> are our managers. Yeah. And they absolutely affect everything because so much of your work affects home and home affects work. As much as we would like to say that there should be delineation between the two, that's just not, that's not possible because we're humans, we're not robots. Mm -hmm. And so how we're treated at work absolutely affects our self-worth, our, you know, the way, if we value ourselves, how we show up, it just, it affects everything. And so I think that, yeah, managers make such an impact. And I, I don't think I told you this story when I talk to you. So if I can, I think this is a really important one to share. But one of the reasons as well that I got into doing what I, what I do today is because <clears throat> one of my, uh, so when I was in, sorry, this is always an emotional story, but I tell it to all the students because I think it's important for everyone that's going into a management role or is in a management role to know. So when I was in a retail position, I was trained by somebody who was life of the party. Like she was incredible. Okay, Justin, like she was great. Uh, she was like the official trainer on the team. And uh, she had like great sales numbers, super fantastic. After a couple of weeks, we started to see as a team that she was like losing her umph a little bit. We didn't know what was going on, but she was losing her umph. And so she would come in a little bit later, like week by week. Clothes weren't getting folded the exact same as it used to be. Just she was off, right? You could tell that something was going on because it wasn't like she was always like that. She was a rock star and she was slowly turning into something else. One would think that the manager would realize that and have a conversation with her. Our manager decided instead that she had had enough and pulled her into the back room and laid into her. And you know how it is in these retail facilities, right? Like everyone can hear it. And she yeah. left the door open. So now customers are here. Like everybody is hearing this like full on attack. And again, what she said was right. There were things that she was doing that was wrong. Coming in late is unacceptable. Not folding the cloak. All these things are unacceptable. The way she handled it and how she handled it was not okay. So 
this friend of ours, she took it like a champ, walked out, said nothing. Um, she completed her shift and then she didn't come in the next day. And so we just thought, okay, she's blowing off, you know, she's blowing off work because of what happened yesterday. But then she didn't show up for two additional shifts. And so the girls and I called to see what was going on. And this was back in the day before cell phones. And so we called the house phone and her mom said she took her life. I'm not saying, and when I tell, tell this to the students, I'm not saying that my manager is the cause of this, but she was the straw that broke her back that day. She was going through a lot. It was evident. She was going through something. And if our manager had taken a moment before reacting the way she did, who knows? So yeah, be, being in this position isn't just about money. It's not about a title. We can really affect and change the trajectory of somebody's life if we don't take it seriously. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. That's, that's a, do you anchor to that as a strong why I'm guessing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, man. And I'm, I'm hoping the manager felt at minimum terrible, but she's still like, well, that's the other thing too, is like some people ask about her and it's like, yeah, she's still like dealing with the outcome of that. Cause on some level she knows that she had something to do with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like a lot of lives were affected in that, <laughs> including hers, because she didn't take her job serious because she didn't take her role seriously. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And it's why I wanted to start with impact because I think it's an important place for people, emerging leaders to really consider and think about before they step into these roles, because there is no harm in wanting to be an individual contributor and worrying about your own work. But if you do take on the responsibility of being a leader, then you're doing just that. You're taking on responsibility for other people's feelings and livelihoods and tuning in and just asking, hey, something's going on with your performance. Is, is everything okay? Coming at, from it from an, with some empathy, would have done a whole lot of help, I think, in that situation. Yeah. If she had to just slow down for a second. Cause I mean, I think we can all understand being frustrated, like being in a moment of like frustration and just wanting to like say what you got to say. But I just think that if she had to just pause for a moment and really thought about like, cause again, in explaining it to you, I said, she clearly didn't start out this way. Something clearly happened or something was going on. So invite empathy into that situation so that you can gain perspective and have the right conversation as opposed to just like flying off the handle on someone, because really and truly at that point, what you're demonstrating is that you care really about self, right? Right. For real. So, so was it, was it true? So moving into your journey a little bit, was it true that you initially started your, I would say leadership journey with just looking for a low impact role? Like, did you join this company and you're just like, I just, I just wanted to have a job and just focus on that. And then like kind of six months later, I guess that's really the start of all of what becomes Makita Andrews leadership coaching and YouTube <laughs> channel and all of this amazing things. Yeah, I know it sounds ridiculous, but yes, the way you just said it, it's like, yeah, yeah, that is really what I set out to do. I just wanted a low impact role. <laughs> What happened? What ha was it just the, the ask and, you know, give, giving some thought to that, that like, okay, maybe this is something worth exploring or over time, over that six month period, you're like, I do want to step into some kind of leadership. It was just the ask, honestly, because I went into that position really, like you said, wanting just low impact work. I did not want to be in any sort of visible role. There was a lot going on in my personal life. And I felt like <clears throat> I had to give a lot of attention to that. And, you know, being in a leadership role requires a lot from you. And so I was like, I want to, you know, I'm just going to do the very best that I can in a frontline position. And I obviously was just carrying some baggage from that situation that I just talked about. And so, yeah, that's all I wanted. And then, but again, when you like stand out and doing whatever you're doing, <laughs> then all of a sudden people notice. And so that's what happened, right? Then all of a sudden, like legit, the president of the company, like approached me in the corner he was like, oh, you, Mac. I was like, what? Me? You know my name? <laughs> <laughs> Did you like look behind you or something too when he like yeah. actually presented it to you? <laughs> yeah. He said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I, you know, went to his office and he had those, um, he had an office that had like a glass window. Uh -huh. 
And so he said, oh, so, you know, you've been doing an incredible job here since you've been here. You've been here for like, what, six months? I said, yeah, it's been six months. He says, are you enjoying it? I said, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And he goes, it's great. We can really tell, you know, we're growing this department and we think you would be the best person to lead this department to growth. And I kid you not, I went like, <laughs> there was an awkward moment actually between the two of us because he was kind of like, I'm talking to you. And I was like, well, you can't be talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was legit. My promotion was him saying that and me not knowing, I hadn't found my voice yet even to say like, what does this entail? What does this mean? Like, even if I wanted to push back, I hadn't found my voice uh -huh. yet. And so I just kind of accepted it. I went, oh, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. And he was like, great. Next week. I think we had this conversation on like Friday. And then he was like, next week we'll have that office over there is going to be for you. Cause we suspect like you're going to have this entire department and this entire section. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Part of you has to be a little bit excited about this now. Like you're going to get an office and no. you're, gonna, you're just I overwhelmed. Wasn't, I was instantly overwhelmed because again, carrying this baggage from what I saw in my teenage years. And again, the reason I took this role is because there was a lot going on personally. So I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. It was just, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there was much excitement to be off, to be honest. Somebody asked me that the other day and I was like, no, there, it was just like instant overwhelm and like self-doubt right away. I was like, oh my God. And then, especially when he said, oh, we're going to give you that office. And then this entire section is going to be yours. And I went, really? You're still talking to me? <laughs> so no, not at all. No excitement. Not really. <laughs> yeah. And it seemed like that overwhelm kind of carried into the beginnings of your management journey. And yeah. like so many leaders out there, you're kind of thrust into this role and you're like, good luck, kind of push you off into the deep end without a whole lot of support or training or guidance. And it seemed like you were in a bit of that spiral for quite some time until they hired a VP, which I think you ended up reporting into. And you later spun around and said that he became your mentor and really helped guide you through the beginnings of your leadership journey. What, yeah. what did he, if looking back on that, like what did he do or what advice did he give or how did he support you in order for you to begin feeling more confident about being a manager and a leader? Yeah. So one of the things that I've learned, and I'll definitely hit on that question, but I think one of the things that I've learned is that confident people are kind people. Mm. And because of the fact that I went into that role without very much clarity, with a lot of overwhelm and self-doubt, even though I had this like baggage behind me, I still didn't take the full lesson from it because I wouldn't have done some of the things that I did. And I think what caused that was my underconfidence. I felt incredibly insecure because I didn't feel like I belonged in that position. And so I overcompensated in a lot of ways in order to prove that I belonged in the position, mm. that I deserved that office that I got. So interesting how that happens. Yeah, I just, you know, let me think of an example. I know, and, and I'll I, give you some time yeah, to think yeah. here. I know one yeah, thing yeah. you mentioned with, kind of first time managers too, is solving like low RRI tasks because Task, you're yeah. like, you're making these assumptions and you know, these things, and you're not really like going on this listening tour and asking about some of the obstacles in your team, more so just assuming that you need to show that you can solve problems and that you have the answers to all of these things. Yeah, that's definitely one. I think for me though, to answer your question, Mine was most definitely because I'm a people pleaser, getting people to like me. And so not engaging and telling people like when they're wrong. Mm. And so that was one of the things that I did at the very beginning. Cause again, I was underconfident, I was insecure. And so the way that I felt that I could prove to myself that I deserved to be in that role was making sure that people liked me. And so I let a lot of people like walk all over me, <laughs> right? In hindsight. I let them do whatever they wanted because I assume that if they're smiling, that that means that I'm doing a good job. So that was one of the ways that it came out for me, you know, in terms of my underconfidence, I didn't engage in situations that I should have, or even just like not, I don't know. One of the things too, is like not speaking up in meetings when I should have. Yeah. What do you mean I by felt that? felt like, 
Yeah, I felt like if I was quiet, people wouldn't realize that I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought think... honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was really bad. And so I think what he taught me, going back to the question you asked, and I'm sorry that I went over here before no. coming back, but what he taught me is the fact that Mac, we need to work on your confidence because your confidence is making you ineffective. In so many ways, it's making you ineffective with your team because you're not having tough conversations and it's making you ineffective on this leadership team because you're not stepping up and using your voice. Mm. So let's talk about who Makita is as a leader and how Makita can show up as the best leader that she can be. And how did you start moving towards that confidence? Did he have any good tangible advice for you or was it, was it really, I mean, it seems like what he mostly did was just bring some awareness to the situation. That's where it started. It was definitely the awareness. And then what he did was in our one-on-ones we scheduled because our one-on-ones were about an hour. So for the last 15 minutes of the one-on-one, we would talk through, and I think this is anyways, uh, <laughs> we would talk through, uh, some of the things that I could work on quite literally in my as a leader, like what could I, where could I grow? What was I learning about myself? Where was I feeling some resistance and where could I lean into that resistance more in order to, to actually grow? So every, like for that 15 minutes, that's all we did was we focused on my leadership. That was it. Did you have a breakthrough moment that you remember from early on leadership that you're like, wow, I, I am kind of turning the corner on this. Like I'm, I'm, getting better at being a leader, at being a manager. I would love to say that that breakthrough moment happened early on, but it didn't. When it happened for me was when three years, literally three years into my role. This is, I know this sounds sad, but I'm being honest, right? So it was three years into my role and the executive team, we went on a strategic planning offsite. And again, now the managing director of the company said, you know, Mac, your team is doing so well. We want you, your team, your department to be part of the umbrella brand. So now you're not going to serve as just one brand. Y'all are going to serve all five of our brands. Wow. And you're going to be the core component of our strategic plan moving forward. And I went, huh, think I'm doing something right here. <laughs> <laughs> but that was three years in. That's cool. That's, that had that to be, that, that had to it. be an exciting moment. Like, yeah. uh, yes, <laughs> yes, that was the exciting moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Didn't you say the, the VP was like a, a previously like a Colonel in the military that, or something? In the Air Force. Yeah. Okay. Did he yeah, bring yeah. any of that Air Force mentality, military leadership mentality into the role? It seems like, oh, hells yes. <laughs> I see a lot of like specific leadership articles related to the military? Were there like certain things that you picked up that he did that you really liked that you brought in to your role? Ooh, that's a good question. Yes. One of the things he always talked about was like contingency planning. That was huge for him. It's like, okay, that's great. Like stop preparing for best case scenario. Please prepare for worst case scenario. Mm. <laughs> so he always like, that was like one of the best things I learned from him. Also creating like a continuity binder. A lot of people like in leadership roles or in a management position will create like SOPs, uh -huh. but it's like, he wants continuity. So like literally if someone's out, I could just, anybody can fall into that role real quick because that stuff like that happens a lot in the military. And the expectation is that anyone can jump into any role at any point. And so having like processes for continuity uh, was something that he definitely taught me. And one final thing that I thought was really awesome was this concept of what he likes to call like Mac, never forget that people are paid to solve problems, not to yes. create them. <laughs> mm. And he was like, he learned that from a general that he worked with. And so I don't know, just that like concept really kind of like changes the way that you view, that you view things and view like having to have conversations that you need to have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, saw that repeatedly and some of the YouTube videos or podcasts that you've been on it as well, just like articulating the fact that you are a leader, you are paid to think and, and to provide solutions. But at the same time, you're not solutioning for your team members as well. Can you kind of 
give us the delineation between the two and like what that might actually look like in practice. So if I come to you and I have a problem and I say, Hey Mac, you know, this client is unhappy about, you know, the service we provided them. What, mm -hmm. what might maybe an inexperienced leader respond with and more so what would a experienced leader respond with to that? Yeah. I think an inexperienced leader will automatically jump into solving. So, okay, here you, here's what you should do. Whereas an experienced leader will ask the person, okay, walk me through, walk me through what's happening. Okay. You walk me through what's happening. Fantastic. What do you think needs to be done in this situation? Hmm. That's always like the question. What do you think needs to be done in that situation? Cause I feel as though you have some sort of idea. I'd love to hear it from you. And then we can solution it together. And what if they just don't give you a good response to that or a good solution? You know, it's a train wreck. <laughs> do you let them, do you let them see that out? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> or continue like to sometimes give. Sometimes I have, it, dep it depends on the situation sometimes, especially if someone is, seems as though they're very committed to what they just said, even though I know that that might not be the necessarily the right thing to do. If I can afford it, I will let them go ahead and do it hmm. because sometimes people, and again, this depends on the person, but sometimes people learn best when they kind of fall flat. Sure. And I don't mean that in like a mean way. I'm not trying to set you up for failure, but if I've tried to guide you numerous times and you're not getting the point, then if I can afford that, like mishap, then I'll let it happen because I know that you'll learn the lesson. Yeah. Now, if you're somebody that's not necessarily as seasoned in what you're doing, then I will work towards solutioning that with you. I, you know, if you present me back an idea that I feel isn't necessarily close to the solution that I want to hear, I'll let you know. I'm not entirely sure that that would work. Here's why I don't think it would work. How about this? And I would present the other solution. And then it's like, we, we talk through like, if they think that would be a good idea or not. Like, but I, I like collaborating with people on solutions sure. as opposed to always being the owner of having to come up with quote unquote great ideas. Cause to be honest, I don't always have great ideas. I was, yeah, I was just about to say that. Sometimes the I leader don't. doesn't necessarily always know what's gonna happen. And, and sometimes the no. team member might be a little bit closer to what might Absolutely. work. So go experiment, see what happens. You have That's you have my badge of honor, try it out and see. And let's let's continue to work through this and figure out a good solution. Honestly, something that I've found is that most likely is that most people, I should say, actually do have the solution. They're just not confident. And so when you expressing to them that I'm confident that you know how to deal with this and you know why, and then if you list out all their accomplishments, all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, I am pretty accomplished. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, great. So how about you take the day, think about it and come back tomorrow and we'll talk through it. Uh. Yeah. So that's all I mirror back. I just mirror back that you are capable. So we mentioned good leaders don't always have the answers. They don't necessarily have to be this like articulate poised person. They don't need to be the problem solver. You have this fun phrase called awesome sauce manager. What is an awesome sauce manager? <laughs> yes, I love that phrase. So it's essentially just my phrase for somebody leading with integrity. I think a lot of times people, when they think of the, the word integrity, they think lying, cheating, stealing, but it's also being honest about who you are. And so being an awesome sauce manager is you making sure that when you show up to lead your team and to communicate with others, that you're doing so in a way that is true to you, that you're not carrying around this picture in your back pocket of this ideal in your head based on some TV show that you watch <laughs> that made it sound like you were supposed to be, I like to use Jessica because a lot of, a lot of my clients talk about Jessica, um, from suits. I don't Jessica's know the like, show. Don't, oh. You don't know that. Okay. Anyways, I, I'll, I'll put it on my list. I'll put it on okay. my list. I've heard it mentioned a couple of times. I I'm so, so sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a fantastic show. But yeah, a lot of people carry around this picture that they have from like Hollywood or something of what managers should look and sound like and, and whatever. And it's like, but that's not you. That's not going to make you successful. And so that's what being an awesome sauce manager is, is making sure that you are showing up. And I hate the word authentic. That's why I've, because it's not that I hate the word. It's just overused. It like, is. It's overdone. But it, that's what it is about essentially is like, you have to know what are your values? What are your beliefs, your convictions? And what are your strengths? 
What are you really good at? Maybe you're not a strong communicator. That's okay. You probably are a really great listener. So lean into that. Is there qualities or traits that you think managers need to have? I mean, I would think strong communication skills would be something that I would be looking for, but I don't know. This, this seems like a really hard problem. Like it's of course, like it's usually like the best individual contributor that ends up getting promoted into the manager role. And it's like, just because they're good at their job, being a leader or a manager is an entirely different skill set. (laughs) So how, how do you identify budding awesome sauce managers? Yeah. So I'm going to answer your first question and then I'll come to that. Cause you were mentioning, like, you would think that being a good communicator is important for a manager. And I, I 100% believe that, but I'm also not like the best communicator. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this podcast. But <laughs> Get out of here. I You're think, killing it. <laughs> I think what it is that makes a manager an awesome sauce manager is the willingness to improve. Mm. So you don't necessarily have to start off being this strong communicator or this excellent strategic thinker, but you need to be self-aware enough to know that you're lacking in these areas and be willing to push yourself out of the comfort zone to get better in those areas. Is this the quote that you mentioned? Leadership is personal development played out in public. Played out in public. I can always tell. I can always tell if you're going to be a good leader, if you're working on yourself, you're not working on yourself. Please don't, please don't come to the plate. Yeah. No, I stood on that one for quite some time. That one, I was like, yeah. I got to write that one down. Cause that's a really interesting thought, I think. And I think you're right. Like I was going through, um, my own head. Cause I've never had to hire a manager. So I'm not even, I haven't really thought a whole lot about like, what would I be looking for right, in right, some right. kind of leader or manager in that sense. And then you were talking about that and people that are focused on their own professional development or personal development. Um, I was like, yes, that's usually the aligning factor between some of my best managers that I've had. Right. Wow. So tell me, let's wrap up your story a little bit, actually, and, okay. and, and how you got to, to coaching because you're no longer in corporate America leading. So president hires you or uh, moves you into this strategic role. You're a, a big part. What happens after that? Yeah. After that, I, it was cool because the entire, like the department grew quite a bit. And I watched some of the team members that I came up with become also managers and and senior leaders. And I kind of got to a point where I was kind of like, feel like I could do more. And I'm also feeling a little bit bored in my role. Mm. That's the honest truth. And so I talked to my my closest team members, the, my actual, I hate this word, but my actual direct reports, not the, the frontline ones about like the next part in my journey. And they kind of said, well, we were here when this started and we've done an incredible job. It would be really cool to replicate this. And I said, okay, so what y'all want to do? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, nah, you're going to do it. <laughs> So that's how I got here. It was actually my team's idea. It's cool. And I just love them to death, like all of them to death. Yeah, they were the ones that came up with this like concept of we really think that it stems back to the manager, a really good leader. And that's able to create this type of environment that's able to change so many lives. And so if we can make sure that from the very beginning, managers are set up the way that they should be, then eventually things will trickle trickle out and the impact will be will be had <clears throat> so that's they were the they were the brainchild yeah this business <laughs> and it sounds like you should probably listen to what people are asking for and yeah <laughs> it did just that like <laughs> when did the accelerator program come up did you build that right away or no 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 i would say it's been in the works for maybe a year okay so I played around for a good year before I kind of figured out what I was doing with my life. Well, mm-hmm. with the business. Because <laughs> <Sure. laughs> then you're like, holy cow, you were probably no longer bored. Like, yeah, like, I know. I, I was to, <laughs> figure out how to like run a business. Like that's another level on top of it. And you're like, okay, I can lead people now. I'm a pretty, I'm a strong individual contributor. Like now I got to start a business. <laughs> uh, uh, been a journey. Hey, this is Justin Peters from the Struggles Real Team. I hope you're enjoying the show. 
We're going to get right back to it after a quick message. I have so much fun interviewing the guests that come on The Struggle Is Real, and I try to squeeze out as much knowledge as I can. But as much as I'd love to talk to them all day, we only have a limited amount of time. Luckily, so many of my guests have condensed all of their wisdom into a book. So if you've resonated with a guest on the show, I encourage you to go check out their book. These books are incredible, and I think they add a ton of value. I have all the guest books in one easy-to-find place. Just head over to justinpeters.co forward slash books. By purchasing books through the links on our website, you're also supporting the show. So thank you for that, as that is how we continue to expand The Struggle is Real. Now back to the episode. Well, one of the, be- at the at the beginning, I was mentioning I found you through YouTube, and it's a huge part of your business, it seems like, creating these Tuesday videos. I look forward to, to them each and every Tuesday, and if people are interested, Nikita Andrews, and we'll put that down in the show notes too, if anybody's just looking for a quick link. But I want to ask you about a couple of my favorite videos that I've watched okay. recently. Okay. Let's start with setting expectations. So you did a video on setting expectations. You had lots of really good tips and tricks out there. The what, when, why. I like that methodology. The reasonability check. I really liked that. I wrote that one down. I thought that was great. You even talked on uh, ways to provide feedback. But then you had this breakdown between speaking in terms of outcome versus activity. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? I think that was like a really, that was really good for me to be like, okay, that's when I'm speaking or communicating with, with team members, I need to think about where they're at. And, and once again, speak either from an outcome standpoint or an activity standpoint. Yes. I think this is really, really important because it's, there's a dramatic difference, right? Like the activity is all about the tasks. Like what are the, this is the outcome. And here are like a list of bullet points that I want you to complete in order to hit this, this outcome. And I think that speaking in terms of activity with someone who is new to their role or perhaps needs a lot of guidance from you is wise, but speaking to someone who is more seasoned, who should have a good grip or understanding of their role to speak in terms of tasks can come off a little bit condescending, right? And can actually put them off a little bit. You don't realize it, but it does. Like to a certain extent, you're telling that person, I don't trust that you're able to hit this outcome. So I feel like I need to dictate to you how you're going to do that. And so I think stopping to think about where this person is at and how they can receive your message is really important before you set expectations because it'll affect the way they receive it. Yes, it is very true. I work a side job and Mm -hmm. I've been there for a year and a half, two years. It's in the hospitality space and it's, it's easy and it's um, straightforward, but I was working with a new coordinator and she was just micromanaging everything. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I was like, I, I know, <laughs> like I, I've done this a lot. Like it's like setting up like for a catering gig. Like it's not that hard. Like, and, and I found myself, <laughs> I know I found myself after a little bit of time being like, like, I'm really put off by that, even though I, I appreciate her straightforwardness and her thoroughness. But at the same time, I felt like it was very undermining it's like, okay, it, it's one thing to be like, you know, hey, we need a breakdown so we can get out of here and like, you know, giving me the outcome on what is expected. But it's another thing to like be hovering over my shoulder, like pointing me to everything that I need to be doing at that time. Yeah. And you know what happens besides like you said, being off put by it is that you start to shut down in a sense. You don't realize it, but you do. You start to not really hear what the other person is saying because you, what your brain does is automatically assumes that this person is just the type of person that likes to break down everything. And so Mm -hmm. you miss vital points. So it's better not to approach it like that. Mm -hmm. If the person needs it, right? I'm not against that. Just know who you're talking to, know your audience. Right? Yeah, because I've, I've also been in the same boat too, where I've been in a new role that the very first time I, I worked one of those shifts, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, right. And I kind of wish I had that manager at that point in time to point me out and to give me some instruction and like, 
tell me what I actually need to do there. So, you know, no fault on her because she had a blend of those people at the beginning of the shift. And it, some people are new and they really do need some thorough instruction. Other people have been there for a while and they're like, yeah, we got it. Like, yeah, <laughs> we got out. it. Just give us the outcome. And guess what? We'll bring you back something a lot better because the way that we get there might possibly be better than the way that you are describing it, yes. which is what I always like. Because again, we don't know everything. And so us assuming that we know everything comes out in actually dictating how someone's supposed to get to their outcome when we know that they're seasoned. And, you know, part of that demographic that might need activity not only is new, but also maybe under underperforming, underperforming employees as well. And I think this is a big challenge the first time dealing with an underperforming employee. But I liked the video that you did on this pretty recently, and you gave a model out there. It's the ACAC model. And I'll walk through it real quick, and then I'll ask you yeah. about the last letter. So ACAC stands for Assess, Clarity, Accountable, and Celebrate. Assess being <laughs> what isn't happening and why. I actually really like that phrase. I, I wrote that one down. Uh, oh, you did? <laughs> because I think that was really clarifying to like, oh, like what, what's the blind spot there? Clarity being setting some expectations for the team member and yourself, because sometimes there just, there wasn't any expectation articulated. So what do you want to see versus what do you don't want to see? Accountable, obviously, what, what do we, what's some, you know, requirements? Like, what do we want to see next time this activity is performed or next time we speak? And then celebrate, which that's the one I really want to ask you about, because looking at this model, I think that would be the one I'd overlook the most out of all of it. I really like the model. I was like, oh yeah, celebrate. That makes sense. But then I took a second glance and I'm like, why does that make sense? So, <laughs> so why is it important to celebrate an underperforming employee? And when do you do it and how do you do it? I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's important because again, and I know because you're clearly watched all my videos. <laughs> I always talk about the fact that everyone wants to just be seen and heard in this world. Yeah. And that includes when we get better at doing what you've called us out for, right? Like if I talk to you today about listening and all of a sudden you've improved in listening, then I should really like tell you, hey, you've improved in listening so that you know, and that's going to make you feel really good. And guess what? That's also going to make you do continue to do it. Because we're all addicted to that dopamine hit of like someone telling us that we're freaking awesome. My girlfriend knows this one well. <laughs> she, I said, my girlfriend knows this one well. She always celebrates things that she wants to see. And I'm like, I, then I'm always excited to like continue to, to do it, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it makes you feel good. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I am improving. Look at me go. <laughs> yeah. And especially with an underperforming employee. Right. Because oh. It's a conversation that like they don't want to hear, you don't want to have. But if the outcome is that things change and they get better, then it was a conversation worth having. And they need to know that all it needed was like a little bit of self-awareness, like you bringing it to the plate and saying, hey, like this isn't this isn't working. Here's why. Let's make some adjustments. And so they won't fear those conversations in the future because they'll know that most likely the outcome will be a good one and that you will celebrate them for their commitment, for their advancement and improvement. So it's actually also you kind of putting a nickel in the, the jar of like, you can trust me. I'm going to celebrate you when you do a good job. And trust is so important too. Yeah. Building trust over time as a manager. Once again, back to the responsibility piece. I think that's something worth focusing on right away with your team members. If you're coming into a new team and building some trust with them and listening to them and hearing their opinions. Yeah, I, I liked, I mean, of course, I think there could be a process with underperforming employees and, and going to the ACAC model, I think is a really great place to start. It might get to a place where termination is in the future and you have to have that conversation. But there's also, I think, a few other things in between those two that might be able to solve the situation. I'm not sure if solves the right word here, but but solve the situation. And one of your client referrals on your Instagram, I saw she was thanking you for the advice about a challenging employee. And the outcome was essentially the employee decided to move to a different position. Uh, she quoted, I appreciate your craft in reminding me that helping someone recognize that the position isn't a good fit is a positive step for both the individual and the company. 
So clearly she articulated that this position might be better suited for, for you. I'm curious, what was the thought process on how the two of you came to that conclusion? Yeah, that's a good one. I think that was Kate, right? I yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was Kate. I was like, which one is that? Um, the thought process. With that particular employee, what was going on was she had started, of course, with the ACAC method and walked her down, walked, sorry, him down a performance improvement plan path of like making sure that, you know, she was, Kate was there to support him in improving. But things got to a point where it was obvious that his strengths were just not aligned with the role, which happens sometimes. I mean, that's, that's not a bad thing. It just, it happens. And so it's a matter of releasing someone and letting someone know like, Hey, like you're a fantastic person here, are all your fantastic qualities, but I need you to know that you're not aligned in the work that you're doing. And that's why the outcomes are not where they need to be. And so let's find just like a role that is more aligned with what you're best at, because this here is just not working. And she was able to have that very honest conversation when it got to a point in that performance improvement plan where it just, it wasn't jiving and she knew it, but she had to go through the process, not just to operate in integrity, but also for the awareness aspect for him. Cause walking through the process helped him see, uh, she's not just coming down on me. I'm just not really good at this. Which is totally fair. I think That's, I'm it's fine. I was talking with a friend who manages a challenging employee right now as well. And one of the key components is attention to detail and he just doesn't have, doesn't it. have it. And that's a hard one to that's really a hard teach. One to train. And yeah. yeah it, it's a tough one. And she's I, just listening to her talk about it as well. She's like highlighting all of these great qualities about him. You know, he, he brings a lot of positive, positive energy. He gets excited about project-based work that's a little bit higher, you know, higher level that doesn't necessarily require the attention to detail. And I was thinking about that and I was like, you know what, having the conversation or shifting the conversation after you've gone through ACAC and you just identified that it's just not a fit, maybe he could be guided into a different role because he is awesome at many of other things. Right. Yeah. It's just a matter of making sure you're on the right seat on this bus, right? That's all it is. I mean, it might not be in this organization or this department, but we'll make sure you get someplace where you're actually happy. Because I mean, at the end of the day, none of us want to feel like we're failing in our roles. So they at some level also know that, right? So yeah, it's just a matter of us like being courageous enough to have that conversation with someone and say, I just don't think that this is aligned with what your strengths are. And I think it makes the case for making sure that we're very clear on the, um, the objective of the role or the purpose, I should say, of the role that we're putting someone into. Because if we're not clear on that, then it's more likely that we will have somebody that is not in alignment. <laughs> yeah. Right? So we have to be very clear. What is the purpose of this role? What, is this, what does this role need to achieve in order to like fully fit into this bigger picture here? Yep. And I think that was part of the mistake as well is just not necessarily identifying that attention to detail detail was a very, very critical piece to this role, but then you learn from it, you know, yeah. and, and once again, if they decide to move on and I'm guessing the next person that she would hire into that role would be somebody that she has a surety on that they have attention to detail. Yeah, so. exactly. Mm. Exactly. Well, one thing that I am clear on is that you have an amazing YouTube and so much good content. Uh, so people want to check you out. <laughs> Once again, Makita Andrews on YouTube. You can find uh, your channel very easily that way. Also, MakitaAndrews.com. Anything else that you would want to point people to or share as, as a leave behind? Uh, no, I think that's that's fantastic. My YouTube channel is my this place that I chill every Tuesday. And so you can always find my content there or... Of course, like you mentioned, my website will lead you to all the different things that I've got going on there. Yep. And you got a good guide out on the website as well. If people want to learn a little bit more about you and, and you know, take that away and, and get some good insight. So Nikita, my final question for you, if you yeah. had the opportunity to teach a 16 week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? 
<laughs> I thought this question was so good. Okay, so I would teach social and situational awareness. Oh, let's go. <laughs> let's hear more. Let's uh, give me a I teaser think, what the syllabus would look like. Yeah, I just think it's something that's like missing. I think I was telling you, well, you already know that I was in New York, New York City, actually mm -hmm. for vacation and just sitting there watching how people interacted with each other. I was like, you know what's missing from this situation? Some awareness, self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we learn a lot in school about so many things that is so like theoretical and not enough about how connected we are and how we need to think about our environment and how we affect the environment. And, you know, so I just think like a 16 week course on social and situational awareness would be great. And I, since I'm such a practical person, I feel like I would want to do like a series of trips with my class to like different cities and towns to observe how people interact with each other. Oh. And then like talk about the interactions and the behaviors afterwards in terms of what could have been done differently in that situation. And so that's kind of how I picture doing it is literally traveling around as impractical as that sounds. I feel like <laughs> it's super practical at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That would be a really interesting class. I think it would be like a good discussion class. Like, right? yeah. And yeah. maybe like reassuring that, you know, you have a little bit of self-awareness too. <laughs> yes. And I think we learn a lot from observing others as opposed to just like sitting there in a classroom learning stuff. And so, yeah, I would, I would definitely want people to, I want us to like get out there and go to, like I said, cities and like smaller towns because the social and situational awareness in both those scenarios would be different, dramatically oh, yeah. different. Oh yeah. But there would be a lot to learn. Well, I would be stoked to sign up for that class. Mac, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you finally letting me interview Yay! you on the podcast. It's been <laughs> such a blast. We covered a lot of really great topics and um, really excited to continue to watch your, your YouTube content out there and see what's in store for you in the future, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of amazing things. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Dustin, for having me. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.